Amen. Open your Bibles to Genesis, Genesis chapter 38. We are, this, this portion of our study of Genesis is called From the Pit to the Palace. Remember what's happened. Go back to Genesis 37 so that we can see what has happened. Joseph has come to see how his brothers are doing. And in the middle of verse 17, it says, And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Genesis thirty-seven nineteen. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. Can you imagine? These are his brothers. And they hated him. Why did they hate him? Because he had told them what God had said to him. And they didn't want to hear it. You know that we live in a culture that when we tell them what God has said, they're not going to want to hear it. Amen? They are not going to want to hear it. But we're still going to tell them. Because our faithfulness and our duty is to the Father, not to the world. So he was being true to his earthly father, and he was being true to his heavenly father. And the reward was a pit. It was a pit. So now, this morning, I want to bring a message called Questions from the Pit. Questions from the pit. Genesis chapter 39. He's been sold. His one brother said, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. So they sell him. They sell him for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus Christ was sold for 30 pieces of silver. The 30 pieces of silver, according to the book of Leviticus, is the price for a servant that's been slain, gored by an ox. So 30 pieces of silver is the price of a dead servant. That's what they thought Jesus was worth. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver because he was a young man. He wasn't a full-grown man. But the other thing is we know that Jesus Christ is worth more than anything else. That's the price that was paid for our redemption. Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. Now, notice it says down to Egypt. I hope that you'll mark that in your Bible. Egypt is a picture of the world, and if you're going to go to the world, you're going to go down. You're going to go down. If I resign the pastorate of Grace Baptist Church to become president of the United States, that would be a step down. How many of you have ever heard a preacher say that before? It's true. It is true. We just sang that song, this kingdom, this kingdom. Remember what Jesus Christ said. Jesus Christ said, if this, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. We practice a spiritual kingdom. Amen. The Bible says, Romans 14, 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom we participate in. But Jesus Christ is coming back. And He's going to establish a kingdom and rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. And then rule and reign in eternity. And His kingdom will have no end. Amen? We need to understand where we fit into this kingdom. We need to understand where we function in this kingdom. And if that's true, then no matter what promotion I get in the world, if it takes me away from the ministry that God's called me to do, it's a step down. Egypt. You always go down to Egypt. Now, look what the text says. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. So here's our first question. Where is God when things are hard? Where is God when things are hard? And I have heard people ask this question. Struggles come into their lives. They're believers and they say, where is God in this? Anybody else heard that question asked? Where is God in this? And here... Joseph is not being brought into Egypt as a prisoner of war. He's not just a sojourner who's wandered there. He has been ripped from his family and has been brought to Egypt as a slave. Where's God in that? 
Where's God in that? Joseph, the favored son, is now a slave. Now, let me say this. I think from... Now, remember, how, how old is Joseph at this point? 17. 17 years old. Do we have anybody here that's 17 years old? Look at this. 17 years old. Anybody 16? Anybody 18? 19. Rick? You have socks that are older than that. <laughs> now look, this is a young man. Uh, I was just, we were watching a thing this week about Ben Roethlisberger. Isn't he just a, just a wonderful example of a human being? Y'all know who Ben Roethlisberger is? He's the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, he has been caught in some compromising situations. And here's the good news. He hasn't done anything illegal that they can prove. What do you think of this guy? Well, he hasn't done anything illegal they can prove. How's that for a recommendation? And the lawyer was saying this. His lawyer was saying, well, if there had been cameras and, and video around when we were 28, you know, who knows what would have happened. Well, look, I was 28, but I didn't do that. And can you imagine that 28 years old now is still considered immature? How many of you had a family when you were 28? Yeah, how many of you paying the bills, working the job? You're responsible for life when you're 28. Here is Joseph. He's 17 years old. He's been brought down to Egypt. He's been sold into slavery. And yet God has a plan for him. Where is God when you're in the pit? Well, we're going to see. Oh, I was going to say this. 17 years old. Did he deserve to be thrown into a pit? No. But was he kind of naive? Yeah. Already, he is the son of his father's favorite wife. How many of you already see a problem? Right? The other brothers already feel, they already feel like second-class citizens. And here, Joseph, his mother, was beautiful. And Joseph, it says he was a goodly young man. He was a really good-looking kid. So here he is. He's the favorite son of his father. He has a special coat that his father's given him. At 17, he's been put in charge of his brothers. Yeah, how's that working out so far? Right? It'd be like me leaving the kids at home and telling Jacob, okay, you're in charge. Lid, how are you going to like that? Not too much. She's not going to like that. Jacob says, Dad, when you go away, she's mean. <laughs> she's a dictator. That's what he said. So now here, imagine, we're reversing the roles. So here's Jacob, 17 years old, the good-looking favorite son of his old father. And then he comes and tells his brothers, hey, I've had a, I've had a dream. You guys are going to worship me. Now, he was telling them the truth that God had revealed to him, right? You think maybe that probably wasn't the best way to say it? Right? We learn something from that. The way we communicate the truth is vitally important. When you get saved out of a religion that teaches works and that has all kinds of traditions and all kinds of things that are not from the Word of God, when you get saved out of that, the first thing that you want to do is go back and tell them all where they're wrong. Well, they don't need to learn about their bad religion. They need to learn that Jesus Christ is their Savior. Amen? We need to approach them as one beggar showing another beggar where we found bread. And so Joseph, while the gifted son and while a brilliant young man, and we're going to see a very capable young man, he was a little naive. But how many of you were naive when you were 17? Yeah, me too. Do you deserve to be sold into slavery for that? No. So here he is. He's been brought down. He's the favorite son, and now he's a slave. And he's simply been obeying his father. Where's God in this? Well, look at verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. The question is not, where was God? The question is, where is your faith? When you get into your trouble, uh, let me ask you, anyone here been sold into slavery yet? Some of you ladies said, yeah, I got married. Look, I don't care how bad your husband is. You've not been sold into slavery. You've not been taken, in a, taken thrown in a pit, taken in a caravan to a slave market and sold. Amen? Where was God? The Lord was with him. 
there was a bombed out shelter in Germany after World War II. And when the soldiers went in there, they found somebody had written on a wall, I believe in the sun even when it does not shine. I believe in music even when I can't hear it. I believe in love even when I can't feel it. I believe in God even when he is silent. And I got to tell you, when Joseph was in the pit, I'm sure, I'm sure he felt that God was silent. Can you imagine being dragged behind a caravan, thrown on the back of a camel, or having to walk behind the animals in chains or tied up, being dragged to a place that is not your home? You might be thinking where God is, but do you know where God was? God was with him. God was with him. God was with him in the pit. He was with him in the caravan. He was with him in the slave market. He was with him in Potiphar's house. And he's with you. Circumstances change. Peace and fellowship don't. Remember what we said. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. See, here's the deal. Laura and I might come on hard times financially, but we've got each other. We've got each other. I might run into trouble. What if the Lord takes her away from me? I've still got God. He's still there. Thelma, Sonny's been gone for 10 years. And the Lord's been with you every step of the way. Amen? Can any of you ladies on the row say that? Has the Lord been with you? See, when God, when, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell you, and He's called the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He is with you. Circumstances change. Fellowship and peace do not. So I wonder this morning, how's your peace? And how is your fellowship with God? Are you conscious of the very presence of the eternal and almighty God with you today, right now? Circumstances change. You know, if the Bible's true, then life has seasons. Remember what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes? There's a time for everything. That's not just a 60s love song. There's a time for everything under the sun, a time to be born. A time to die, a time to laugh, a time to mourn. If God's word is true, then your life is not going to be on the top of the mountain all the time. There are going to be valleys. And what we need to understand, where can I flee from God? Psalm 139. If I go to the highest mountain, he's there. If I go to the lowest hell, he's there. God is with you. Are you conscious of that right now with what you're going through in your life? He's with you. Listen to what Jesus said, John 16, 32. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. So here's what Jesus Christ is telling his disciples. The time is going to come when all of you are going to leave me, and I'm going to be alone. But listen to what he says. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. It's such an amazing thing how Joseph is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight, we're going to go through Psalm 139, and we're going to find Jesus. But here, in this text, Jesus Christ is saying, everybody else can leave me, but the Father's with me. Now, what I want you to know is everybody can leave you, but God is with you. He's with you. I have typed here in my notes, pre-World War II theology. Pre-World War II theology. Um, Before World War II... If you had a car, you only had one. And the washing machine was something you cranked up yourself. Right? And the microwave was something from Flash Gordon. You know, there wasn't anything like it. You know, there, there were no VCRs and, you know, you weren't looking. Before World War II, you weren't looking to have your car to drive to work and then the truck to pull the trailer that has the boat on it. Amen? Man, it was a different world. It was a different world. After World War II, all of a sudden, our country had this amazing prosperity. And then we got away from the idea of husbands being providers, and now the wives started working also. It's not Now we had all this income in the homes. And preachers, it started with a guy in the 40s, end of World War II, 
coming out of Oklahoma. His name was Oral Roberts. Anybody remember Oral Roberts? And Oral Roberts taught that material wealth was a sign of God's blessing. And that if you were right with God, God was going to give you stuff. Well, you know, your great-grandparents apparently then were not right with God. You see, what happened was we allowed the culture and the prosperity of the age to influence our thinking. So now we had this increase in material wealth, but you know what's happening right now? A rapid decrease in material wealth. It's going down fast, folks. And everything the government tries to do is making it worse and worse and worse. How many of you recognize that? Where's God? Where's God? He's left us, right? We're all alone. You know, my 401k is gone, so apparently God has left me. Do you know what that means? Your God is your 401k. My health has left me. Well, I can't worship anymore. I lost a child. I can't worship God anymore. What does that mean? My health was my God. My child was my God. You see, what we do is we replace the blessings of God and we worship God when it's good. Man, God, how you doing? Man, God, it's so good. God, it's so good. Now you're in trouble. Oh, man, Satan's fighting. Where's God? Where he's with you through every bit of it, regardless of how much money you have, regardless of your health conditions, regardless of your emotional state, God is with you. Circumstances change, but peace and fellowship do not. Amen? Anyone here ever been through a hard time and God was with you? I don't know how people go through hard times without the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I always fall back on this illustration because it's the only hard thing I've ever been through. When we lost Riley, when our son died, all I could do was put my face in my pillow and cry, Oh, God. I couldn't even say anything. All I could say was, Oh, God. Uh, How can people go through that without the presence of God? Anybody here saved today? You know for sure that you're saved today. Man, I can tell you, you can go through anything. I've, I've heard Laura say to me, You might as well just put me in the grave. If that happens, you might as well just put me in the grave. And I've not corrected her until now publicly. (laughs) You've got God with you. You can take it. Amen? Now, would you choose it? No. We're going to get there in a second. So, where was God? Oh, you know what we need to understand? Would you look with me? Keep Genesis 39, but go go to 2 Peter with me. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. How many of you believe the Word of God? About 20%. How many of you believe the Word of God? Amen. You believe every word of it? And it's true, right? And you're going to live by it? All right, let's take a test. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Man, I want that for you. I want it for me. I want grace and peace to be multiplied unto you. If you want to know something that I generally do not live with, peace. I am a high-strung, stressed-out, short, fat man. (laughs) Man, I just... I look at stuff, you know, remember what I've told you? The recipe for, us, for frustration is to be a perfectionist with ADD. All, right, all over the place. I want things to be perfect. I want to be great at this. And then I'm so distracted. And Do you know what God wants for us to have? Multiplied peace. But you can't have that multiplied peace until grace. Remember, we've, we've quoted the verse several times today. The kingdom of God, Jesus Christ said, the kingdom of God is in you. All right. And then it says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. So it's not physical things, but righteousness. It begins with the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ when you get saved. 
and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. When I am right with God through a right relationship with Jesus Christ, He brings peace. When I have that peace, then that expresses itself in joy. I ought to be able to be joyful. But man, when I've got, I've got to finish getting the siding on the garage. Now I've decided to build a deck. Every time I walk by that stack of wood, it's like it's on my back. Right? Now let me ask you all a question. Is building a deck life or death? Is there any reason to get stressed out about it? But how many of you, you're kind of that same way. You've got those projects hanging over you. And you just, it's like something is sucking the very life out of you. Well, here's what the Bible says. He looked at his wife when he said that. I don't know what's... Now, now look, the Bible says it's righteousness first and then the peace that comes from it. Now, of course, that's peace with God. When I have peace with God, then I can have peace that I experience and that manifests itself in joy. So here's what the Bible says. The Apostle Peter is praying that their grace and peace would be multiplied. All right? How? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It's amazing all the places that we look for peace and joy. If I just had this, I would be happy. If I just had a bigger house, if we just had another room in the house, if I just had a basement to send the kids to, right? If I just had something else, if I just had that next outfit, if I just had a better job. Do you think Joseph might have wanted a better job? I'd say anything from slave is a step up, right? Now look at the verse. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And it's amazing how we don't have time to study God's Word and to learn about Jesus Christ and to learn about all of the things that He has given us because we're too busy enjoying the blessings that He has given to us. We're looking for that joy and that peace in all of our activities, in all of our stuff. And that keeps us away from the one thing that's going to give us the joy and peace, the knowledge of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Okay, go back to Genesis 39. If this message has stepped on your toes yet today, you know, found you where you're sitting. Would you say amen? Oh, man, I'm going to say a big amen. Because I get so distracted by everything that's out there. All right? We're buying bikes. I'm going to buy a bike. I've got to spend hours researching the kind of bike that I'm... It's crazy. And my wife just looks at me and just says... Last night, she said, have you found a bike? And I, said, and I started telling her all the different kinds of bikes there are now. You know, there's fitness bikes, there's road bikes, there's, there's cyclocross bikes. There's, and, and she went like this. She went. Right? We get so distracted by so many different things. So I'm, I'm telling you, I'm right here with you. So first question is, where is God when I'm in trouble? Second question, who am I when trouble comes? Who am I when trouble comes? Look at verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. I'm just telling you, we're Americans. We don't like to call anybody our master. Amen? Who was he at this time? Who was he? Who am I? When the trouble comes, can you imagine being somebody else's property? Now, it would be a horrible thing to be born into slavery, wouldn't it? But I think it would be even worse to have been the favored son and to be ripped out of that and forced into slavery. Not that any of it's good. But look at what the way the Bible describes him. He has a master, but in the middle of verse 2, and he was a prosperous man. 
He was a prosperous man. And his prosperity was evident to those people around him. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you think that as a slave, he was making a lot of money? Do you understand that, 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 that the, by, by definition, slaves are not paid well? You don't pay your property. You pay for your property. You pay tax on your property, but you don't pay your property. Joseph is property, and he was a prosperous man, but his prosperity was evident to those people around him. So was he a slave or was he a prosperous man? Was he a slave or was he a child of the king? Was he a slave or was he someone that was going to sit on the throne? Was he a slave or was he going to the palace? See, that's what we have to understand. When you walk into that workplace, who are you? Who are you? When you're in the middle of trouble, who are you? Now, here's the idea of him being a prosperous man. Here's what this means. It means that all to which he put his hand was accomplished swiftly and correctly. Can that be said of you? Everything that you do, do you do it quickly and do you do it right? Ladies, housewives, how's your house look? If I came to your house right now without any invitation, how would it look? Don't answer out loud. See, here's the deal. I've dropped in on the Maxwells, and you can eat off Patsy's floors every time. And she makes Bob do that often. It's just... <laughs> here's the deal. She's, she does it right. She takes care of it, and she does it right. I wonder, I hope you understand that being a housewife is one of the highest callings that God could ever give you. Amen. And there, there was a time when they were taught that at home. And it was a special thing for a lady. When, 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 the, when you would invite people into your home, she had to make sure that everything was special, just right, because that was the reflection on who she was. She was fulfilling the biblical definition that the Bible gives the lady, the keeper at home and a keeper of the home. So, ladies, let me ask you a question. How does your house look right now? Well, you don't understand. I've got all these kids. Yes, and, and mothers have never had kids until now. Well, my kids are, are crazy and they're messy. Children have never been crazy and messy until now. It's amazing the hush that falls on a congregation when you get people where they live. See, we expect the president to do a good job, don't we? How many of you expect the president to do a good job? How many of you, if Dr. Edwards operates on you, want him to do a good job? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? I've got stuff to do today. Uh, I'm just going to mail this one in. Sorry about those stitches. Left a screwdriver in there. Sorry. Is that what you want? How many of you have ever, you've gotten through a day of work, and about the last quarter of the day, you're just kind of mailing it in? Seriously. How many of you have done that before? You bunch of liars. Look at this. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I see there's a couple of you. Yeah, and then there's Phil raising his hand. If you've wondered why I limp, I got the last part of Phil's day. Now, look, how many of you want Dr. Reed to mail it in? He did it, and we got Jacob. So, you know, just. <laughs> Do you see? And it's interesting that we don't necessarily see our role as important as that. Do you know what Jacob thought or Joseph thought? Joseph thought that his job as a slave was vitally important and did it with his might. So everything he did prospered. He was prosperous in what he did. Why? Why? Because he never lost sight of the fact that God was in control. So here's two lessons from the life of Joseph. Number one, God blesses and honors the man who works as diligently for others as he would for himself. God blesses the man who diligently works for others, who works as diligently for others as he would for himself. Now, here's the deal. Look at what it says. Look at verse um, 
5. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Potiphar gained from Joseph's labor, not Joseph. And here's, let me tell you what's happened. We have this thing that's happened in our country, and it's gotten worse in the last couple of years with the current administration, with all the language, they call the verbiage that we're doing. We attack management to exalt labor. Now it's going to get really quiet because most of us are labor. That's what I am. I'm just labor. The Bible says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and in doctrine. I'm a laborer. That's, that's what I am. I labor. In, and the Bible takes it even lower. You know what it says after that? Don't muzzle the ox that treads the corn. So here's what God calls me, an ox and a laborer. That's my job. Now, you guys are laborers also. We have this idea that if the man doesn't treat us right, that we don't have to work hard. You know that that is out of the pit of hell and it smells like smoke. That is wicked and it's wrong. This great country was not built on people resenting labor. This country was built on people being thankful for the opportunity to work and doing a great job. I remember as I was growing up, I'm sure I've told you this, but dad was refinishing a desk. He had a, as a church planter, he also had a furniture repair business. He was refinishing a desk and he was staining the back of a drawer. He was correcting something that was wrong on the back of a drawer. And I said, dad, why are you doing that? Nobody will see it. He said, but I'll know it's there. What was he doing? He was doing the job right. That's why Joseph was a prosperous man. He was doing what he was supposed to do. God blessed him because of it. He toiled on giving his all because it was the right thing to do. You know, I'll tell you how we are. Man, when I'm the boss, I'll work hard. How many of you felt that way and then you became the boss and you found out you know what that job's not what i thought it was going to be you see the man who thinks that he'll work hard when he gets to the position will never get to the position i was listening to james knox a pastor from florida preach on this text and he said um it's like you go and you go to get your car detailed and you pay 40 or 50 dollars to get the car detailed and it's all shiny and glittery on the outside and you open up the door, and the guy couldn't even clean the dirt off the door sill. How many of you that's ever happened to you? Yeah. And it bothers you, doesn't it? It bothers you. Why? Because you've paid good money, and you expect it to be done right. And here's what James Knox said. That's why the guy is 50 years old with a high school diploma washing cars. Now, is there anything wrong with washing cars for a living? No. But I'll bet you, if you were the best in town, you'd get a whole lot more business. Amen? Is there anything wrong with digging holes? No. But you better dig the best holes that anybody has ever seen. Why? Listen to what the Bible says. It says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Here's the idea. God has some, given you something to do. And if you don't do it, it won't get done when you're dead. Amen? Do you know what our problem is? We all have graduated from the school of good enough. It's good enough. It's how many of you, you're working on a project and somebody comes, oh, that's good enough. That's fine. I'm just telling you, if it's not straight, I'm going to look at it every day when I walk in. And it's going to bother me every day until I make it straight. Amen? And if it doesn't bother you, 
If it doesn't bother you, you are not the employee that God has called you to do to be. Look, young people, if you're a B student and you get a C, shame on you. If you're capable of making B's and you make C's or D's, shame on you. Amen? If you're capable of making A's and you make C's, shame on you. You teachers, if you're capable of raising your children, your students, and you don't do it because it's too hard or because the parents won't help you. Look, you've got them for eight hours. Do your best. Oh, the parents fight me. The school system fight me. Do your best. Are you a slave? No. Do your best. Looking at Phil. Be the best pipe fitter that's out there. No leaks. Amen? Get them right. See, we need to understand, I do not work for you. I work for him. Man, that is so important. All right, now, let's go on. Um. So, number one, God blesses and honors the man who works as diligently for others as he would for himself. And number two, oh, uh, I want to say this. Here's here's the way that we think. Here's the way that we think. I'll study when I'm a Sunday school teacher. Uh, I'll memorize my verses when I'm a discipler. That's what we think. That's what we think. If I ever have a million dollars, I'll tithe. Look, if you can't give God $1 out of a $10 bill, you're not going to give him 100000 out of a million. I promise you that. Amen? See, we have this idea. If I go into the ministry, then I'll start witnessing. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. All right, so now, number two. He prospered despite his environment. See, poor conditions are no excuse for failure. Poor conditions are no excuse for failure. He is a slave. We're going to see later he's falsely accused. He goes to jail. He's in prison and he rises up in the prison. How many of you think the Egyptian prison was pleasant? Well, you ought to see where I have to work. It's not as bad as that. Amen? So here's my question. Are you prosperous? Does the world know whose you are. Who am I? Do you know what Joseph understood? The reason that he could work so hard as a slave was he knew that God had already told him he was going to sit on a throne. And he believed God. Do you know who you are? You're a child of the king. You're an heir and a joint heir. The Bible tells us very clearly, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, not only when they're watching as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Ed, you don't work for Honda. You work for Jesus. Amen? Josh, you don't work for the state. You work for Jesus. Amen. Carl, you don't work for the post office. You work for Jesus. And that's the way that we are supposed to labor. All right. So, here's the third question. Is your boss blessed of God? Because of your presence. How's that for a question? Look at verse 5 again. And it came to pass... Let's look at, look at verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. Look at what it says. For Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Is your boss blessed because of your presence? The presence of Joseph brought blessing to Potiphar's house. So here's the question. Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel and Joseph are, are 
very similar in the scriptures. Daniel and Joseph, I think, are the only two keep characters in the Bible that God never says anything bad about. That's pretty cool. The other thing is they both interpret dreams. And they both claim that interpretation belongs to God. They're very similar. Look at what the Bible says about Daniel and then the three Hebrew children. Daniel chapter 1, verse 18. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore stood they before the king. Now look at what it says. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. What did it say about these guys? They were ten times better than anybody else in the kingdom. That's the way that Joseph was. And so what happened? God blessed Potiphar's house for the sake of Joseph. Now, let me ask you a question. If I were to go and interview your boss right now, would your boss say, Doug is is ten times the worker of everyone else in the place? Now, see, here's what I want you to get. Don't miss this. Do you know what Grace Baptist Church is known for in this community? We're known for preaching the truth. You talk, to, you talk to the other pastors in town. I think it was Andy Jones said to me one time. He said, Pastor, you know the other pastors in town don't like you very much. Was that the way that you said it? It was something like that. Do you know why? Do you know why? We tell the truth based on the Word of God. I don't care who it makes happy. I don't care who it makes mad. My job is not to make people feel good. My job is to communicate the Word of God truthfully in love. Amen? When I write articles for the newspaper, I think the most recent article that I wrote was about eternal security. How do you think that makes the Nazarene pastor feel, the Church of God pastor? What do you think? Think they're going to like that? If we write something on believer's baptism, do you think the Presbyterian's going to like that? No, they're not going to like that. Our community knows us as a place where the truth is told. Amen? But it also should be known that every person that attends Grace Baptist Church is the best worker we have. I got one amen on that. Let me say that again. We're known for truth, and I'm glad we're known for truth. But we should also be known as the church that every person who attends here is the best worker we have. Why? Because you're working for God. You're not working for that place. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 that we should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we have been called. We've been called to be a son of God, an heir and a joint heir. Remember who you are. Lydia was going someplace the other night and I told her, remember your name. And she said, Lydia? And Jacob said, no, it's your last name he's talking about. Yeah, remember whose you are. You belong to the king. You ought to be the best worker when when you get that disciple and it's time for you to disciple them. You ought to be prayed up. You ought to know what the Word of God says about that lesson. You ought to know what's going on in their life. You should have been praying for them and be ready. You should be the best discipler that anybody could ever imagine. Because you got the Holy Spirit of God. you got the Word of God. You ought to just be the best. I've told people this. When I, when I talk to young preachers, I never wanted to be an average preacher. What do you want to be when you grow up? Average. Well, yeah, I want to, I want to be okay. Yeah. Uh, now, here's the deal. I don't think I'm a great preacher, but my desire is to work harder than anybody else to have something to tell you guys every time I stand up here. You need every Sunday school lesson, man. You've got souls that have been entrusted to you. You cannot mail that in. It could be, it could be the last opportunity you have to communicate to that young person. Man, you need to give it everything that you have with passion. You need to care about it. Do you think Jesus Christ cared when he was teaching? You think? See, Joseph was the best employee that Potiphar had 
and God blessed him. Do you know what you're supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be taking that boss and pushing him up the ladder. You don't know what an idiot he is. Well, he's not your master. Amen? Look, it's wonderful to compare Scripture. It's wonderful to look in the Scriptures and find amazing things from God. And we're going to do some of that tonight. But sometimes it's just deadly practical. How many of you want a fireman that's fat and slow? How many of you want a policeman that can't see? Right? How many of you want a doctor that can't control his hands? How many of you want a pharmacist that can't read? How many of you want a pharmacist that's not trained, that doesn't keep up on what's going on? How many of you want a pharmacist that doesn't check to see what other medications you're taking? Is that what you want? How many of you want a Sunday school teacher that just reads over the lesson 10 minutes before church? How many of you want a discipler that never even considers what's going on? How many of you want an employee that lives for clock out time? How many of you think Joseph was that kind of employee? See, why? Because he wasn't a great man. He didn't become a great man when he became second in command of the nation. He was a great man when he was cleaning the toilets. Amen. Amen. You see, we don't hear about rags to riches stories anymore. The guy starting in the mailroom ends up running the company. We want to get out of school and be running the company. Questions. Questions. Final questions. Do I genuinely believe God for my circumstances? Whatever state I'm in, therewith I'll be content. Would you look at with Philippians chapter 4? Look at verse 13. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now we love that verse. Man, I can sing the song through Christ which strengtheneth me. But look at what it says. Look at the context. Verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Here's what he knows. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So you can go through the downtime financially through Christ who strengtheneth you. You can be hungry. You can be blessed. You can abound. You can be abased through Christ which strengtheneth you. Do I genuinely believe God for my circumstances? You know what I love about Paul? You know, you know where Paul is when he's writing this? He's chained to a Roman soldier. Do you know why God had him chained to a Roman soldier? So the soldier couldn't get away. You know what the Bible says? That even in the household of Caesar has the gospel been preached. He led those soldiers to the Lord and they preached the gospel all through Caesar's house. Do you think he was able to abound in bad conditions? Man. Final questions. Do I genuinely believe God for my circumstances? Letter B. Does the world know that I am a Christian? Now listen. Y'all getting fidgety. I've preached way longer than this. Does the world know that I am a Christian by my work ethic? They should, because you're working for the Lord Jesus Christ. How about this? Does the world know that I'm a Christian by my attitude? See, there, we have people that work really hard with really lousy attitudes. Later on, we're going to see uh, next week or the week after or whenever, um, when Joseph is in the jail and he goes and he finds the butcher, I'm sorry, the, 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 uh, the wine steward, and the baker. I'm thinking of the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. I got my stories mixed up. You have the, the, the baker and, and the wine steward. 
He walks in and he says, why are you downcast? See, he, he had a good attitude. He saw when somebody was sad. I wonder if the people in your workplace look at you and say, man, I want what they've got. Or do they want to take an antibiotic to keep from getting it? I want what they have. Does the world know that you're a Christian by your attitude? And then, am I serving God with all my might, understanding that one day He's coming back? See, we're supposed to work. We're supposed to be serving God in our workplace and in this church, realizing that we're doing it for Him and He's coming back to check on us. That's the way that we're supposed to work. Let's finish up with this. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. Questions from the pit. See, he could prosper in the pit and in the pits because he believed God. You know what God had told him? You're going to sit on the throne. You know what Joseph said? I don't know the way to the throne. I don't know how to get there. I guess I'll just follow God. Amen? You know, one day you're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. We don't know the way to the throne. How about we just be obedient? Uh, sometimes I hate trite sayings, but this one is just true. How about we bloom where we're planted? Amen? What if it's in the compost place? Well, bloom there. Amen? Grass is always greener over the septic tank. Someone great said that. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How about that? Do you know how we're going to endure in this life? No, no, let me see. We're not slaves. Amen? We do endure some hardships. When you lose someone, it doesn't matter what your financial situation is. You lose somebody you love, it hurts. Amen? But are you enduring and prospering seeing him who's invisible? I hope you see Almighty God. That's how Joseph goes from the pit to the palace. God raised him up to be second in command in the world. Do you understand he was the second most powerful man in the world? Daniel, third most powerful man in the world. Why? They just believed God while they were slaves. Lord, please help us to trust you. Help us to.